Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Following the account of the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, there are two very interesting items. First of all, the genealogy of Jesus, beginning with Jesus and working its way back to God. The second is the temptation or the testing of Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, with Satan directly tempting the Lord. Yet Jesus, in his perfect humanity, fully withstanding every temptation and thereby defeating God's enemy. But it's interesting that the Lord was led there to face that temptation by the Holy Spirit. We will look at both the genealogy of Jesus and his passing this test of tests today in our life study from Luke. And Francis Ball has joined us once again. Francis, uh, it's always a joy for me personally to have you in the studio, and I think for our listeners as well. Welcome back. It's always a joy to me to be here, and especially now we're in this book of Luke. I marvel at a writer who can be able to write the things that are here. This is certainly by God's inspiration. It really is. We begin today, Francis, by looking at the genealogy that we mentioned in the opening. There are only two places, two accounts in the Bible of the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. Of course, the first one is in the Gospel of Matthew, and then uh, the second here in Luke. The other two Gospels don't have such an account. But there are some interesting comparisons that we'll look at a little bit today, and I think these comparisons will make uh, both genealogies more meaningful. Maybe you could point out a couple of the more striking differences as we uh, get ready to join Witness Lee today. Well, I think we've seen when we've been through these life studies that only two of the four Gospels, which are all a biography of Christ, uh, that record a genealogy. And there are some differences in the genealogy, but no inaccuracies. The genealogy in in Matthew, because it's the Gospel of the Kingdom, Mm -hmm. and uh, the genealogy proves that he has the standing to be the king, and that comes through the line of Mary. Right. And you go back to the Old Testament and you see all these ones that are referred to, they all put everything in the line for him to be the proper one to be the king. Mm -hmm. And then in Luke, he's the man-savior in Luke. So what we have in all these lineup of these ancestors of Jesus in that connection goes back to God. Generation after generation, 77 in all, all these are lined up to show us that here is a perfect man. Here is a real man a man that's qualified, and we're going to see today how this man is tested, not to see whether or not he would fail, but to prove 
that he is the proper man to be the savior of mankind. Mm. I like the way that Witness Lee in the life study, we won't get into all of the details today in the radio program, there's just not time, but I think it would be an interesting point for our listeners. They had either or both of these life study volumes, that from Matthew and this one from Luke, to see these two genealogies side by side. When you get into the details, it is marvelous to see the line of uh, the kingship, as you brought out, coming through Mary's side of his uh, lineage and going back through, of course, David. And then this one, which is picks up Joseph's uh, side of the arrangement and brings us all the way back to God, as you said, establishing his perfect humanity. What a picture, Francis. Yes, it is marvelous. As you said, there are 77 generations accounted in Luke. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are 42. But of the 77 in Luke, today we want to focus primarily on four that are particularly striking outstanding and that we will really see uh, have an application to us. So I've selected a couple of the verses, a few of them, from the genealogy in chapter 3 to bring out these four that we want to look at particularly. The first, of course, begins in verse 23. And he, Jesus, when he began to minister, was about 30 years old, being, so it was thought, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. So there we begin, Francis, with the first one mentioned here, that of Jesus himself. Then we jump to verse 34, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor. And out of this group, of course, Abraham is quite outstanding as the father of the called race or the father of the race of promise, as we'll see. And now if we go to verse 38, we see the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So we have Adam and God that jump out. So we'll look primarily at these four in this long lineage of Jesus Christ. Here's Witness Lee. There are only two genealogies of the Lord Jesus. One in Matthew, which began from Abraham down to Joseph. Altogether, 42 generations. But in Luke, the genealogy is different. It is from Jesus, tracing back to God. It is altogether 77 generations. The first one was God, the last one was Jesus. Quite meaningful. Now, on this genealogy of 77 generations, only four generations are very striking. What are these four generations? Number one, God. Number two, Adam. Number three, Abraham. And number four, Jesus. God, Adam, Abraham, and Jesus. Number one, God created man. And number two, man got fallen in Adam. Man was created by God, and man got fallen in Adam. Then, in Abraham, man received God's promise to save man. And then in Jesus, man got saved, created, fallen, promised, and saved. Where man was created? By God. And where man got fallen? In Adam. Where man got the promise? Abraham. And where man got saved? Jesus. Hallelujah. Created, fallen, promised, and saved. Created in God, falling in Adam, promised in Abraham, and saved in Jesus. Our man Savior 
came to save us not in an objective way. He came to save us by joining himself to us. And this joining is God joining himself with man. So it is a genealogy of man. Yet it begins with God and ends and Jesus. It's wonderful. Have you ever read such a genealogy? This is not only his genealogy, but ours too. We're all in this. Hallelujah. We were in God, we were in Adam, we were in Abraham, and we were also in Jesus. Hallelujah. And today, we are still in Jesus. And we have nowhere to go. And we have nowhere to be. We are now in Jesus. Nowhere to go, Francis. We, <laughs> we better stay here where we are. Amen. Uh, I really like uh, how he condensed this long genealogy into these four striking uh, uh, components. Of course, God, we're all in God, and Adam. Unfortunately, we're all in Adam. Uh, but we were rescued to some degree by Abraham in that we received a promise, and now in Jesus we get saved. How about these four high points, Francis? Mar, these are marvelous. I feel like this is such a condensing of our whole history or I should say, God's history. Right. (laughs) Because everything began with God who created us. So, as Brother Lee pointed out, and as you just pointed out, in God we have the creation. But in Adam, there was this fall, the fall that caused Adam to be, instead of being for God's purpose and expression, he became a fallen man, and even Satan's expression. So man was in a ruined condition by the fall. But then, as you come on in the genealogy and come to Abraham, my, what an uplifting picture that is, because it's not that anything was fully accomplished, but there was the promise. Yes. The promise that man would be rescued and man would fulfill God's purpose, which can be accomplished only by Jesus. So in Jesus, we get the fulfillment of the promise, and that's the salvation. So in God, we have the creation. That applies to us. Mm -hmm. We were certainly, our origin is God. And in Adam, we had the fall, and that included us. We were in that fall. All men were created uh, by God, but all were involved in the fall because God created one corporate man. And then in Abraham, we have the promises of what God will do to accomplish his goal. And in Jesus, we have the salvation. And as we ended that session, we realized that's where we are today, in Jesus, in salvation. Marvelous. Marvelous. Francis, I um, noted one phrase that uh, touched me as he was accounting this, and it was at the point when he touched our salvation being in this last stage of the genealogy of Jesus. He said, Our man's Savior came to save us, not in an objective way. He came to save us by joining himself to us. Touch this point a little bit in about the minute we have left. I think this is the greatest thing to see, that God became a man. He was looking everywhere all through the Old Testament for a man that didn't sin, and there was not found one. But this man, Jesus, was God becoming that man. Hmm. God himself became a man to fulfill his requirement to have a man that would fulfill God's purpose. So when we're in Jesus, we are in God's purpose and plan, and we are rescued from the fall. Wonderful. 
Well, we have another big point to cover today as we come through now chapter 3 and begin chapter 4. Very interesting. Let me read just the first verse out of chapter 4 as a lead-in or a set-up to the next uh, point that we will hear from Witness Lee. Verse 1 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness while being tempted for 40 days by the devil. A well-known account, Francis, but I think we'll see it in a light today that brings a whole new view of the temptation of the Lord Jesus. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Now, we come to his test. After being anointed by the ways the Holy Spirit, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness 40 days. You all know, and I believe you also remember the Lord's Prayer. He taught us to pray, Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation. But why the Holy Spirit led him into temptation? Let me tell you this. He was strong. He could stand temptation. But we were not. And we are not. We cannot stand any temptation. Don't be proud. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was strong. Only he can stand the temptation of God's enemy. And the Holy Spirit did lead this perfect man into temptation. To do what? Number one, to defeat God's enemy. Number two, to show to the enemy of God, Satan, that there is a man in the entire universe that can stand against the devilish temptation. You have to realize today, the spirit will never do this with us because we just cannot stand. Even we have been generated, and we have been sanctified to some extent. We have been transformed. Yet still, we just cannot stand the temptation of the evil one. So we need to pray, Oh, Father, lead me not into temptation. Amen. We have to pray this all the time. Regardless how strong you feel, you are still weak. You cannot stand the temptation of the enemy. There's only one in the whole universe who has the humanity that can stand the temptation of God's enemy. That is Jesus, the man Savior. Oh, Francis, uh, I love this. Amen. You know, the point that jumped out to me here was not just was this, the enemy defeated by Jesus, but he was defeated by him as a man. Yes. Yeah, this testimony. There's a man in the universe that can pass this test. Yeah. I think the key for us is to figure out which man that is. Right. Certainly this man is Jesus. And we have seen that when he was tempted by the devil, the devil kept wanting him to take his status as God. Right. But he kept replying that he's a man. When he tried to tempt him to take the stones and make them bread, the answer the Lord Jesus gave was, man shall not live by bread alone. Mm -hmm. And when he was tempted to jump down from the temple and test God, 
he said, man should not test the Lord his God. Right. It's not in those exact words, but that's what indicated. So the Lord Jesus met Satan in every temptation as a man. He, as a man, overcame Satan, defeated him. And now this wonderful one who is also our Savior is the one who can resist all the temptations. We cannot. In ourselves, we will always fall under Satan's attack. But in Jesus, our salvation, we can resist the temptation of the devil. Yeah, I think the biggest temptation for us that we face, of course, not these same specifics that the Lord Jesus faced, but it's the temptation to be drawn out to engage the devil on that kind of ground, isn't it? Right, right. We can never compete with him in ourselves. There is one who already defeated him. Our self is absolutely a fallen self. So only the life that Jesus Christ is and has become that life in us are we able to resist any temptation from the enemy. This is a a big lesson, I think, one that uh, Watchman Nee once wrote that we don't learn this with one lesson or one failure, maybe not 50 lessons or 50 failures, maybe our whole lifetime of trying and failing on this until we come to the realization there's only one that can meet this test. That's right. Francis, in our third section today, we want to come back to the temptation and look at one specific example. You mentioned a couple. In this one, we want to pick up the portion in verse 5, beginning there, where the devil offers Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Verse 5 says, And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the inhabited earth in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, because to me it has been delivered. And to whomever I want, I give it. If you therefore worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Let's go back to Witness Lee one more time today. I would call attention to this again. That is, in Matthew and in Mark, they didn't tell us how the devil tempted the Lord by the kingdom and the glory of this earth. Luke gives us a detailed record of this point. This indicates the highest standard of morality. Suppose you were offered with all the kingdoms of the inhabited earth and all the authority and all the glory. What would you do? You will say, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It must be sovereign of the Lord. <laughs> in principle, in principle, in past, I heard this kind of hallelujahs. And I heard this kind of uh, amens. But this tells us the man's Savior was living in the highest standard of morality. Nothing can seduce him. Nothing can affect him. Nothing can move him. No. He lived a life, a life of the highest standard of morality. That is a life in the human nature with the divine nature. A life in the human virtues with the divine attributes. 
This is the highest standard of life. Only this kind of life can stand such a kind of temptation. Looks record all the time stresses the matter of the highest standard of morality. Eventually, he stood against the tempter. He won the victory, and the tempter was defeated. Francis, we've heard this phrase throughout the life study of Luke that the Lord Jesus, the man Savior, displayed the highest standard of morality in this gospel. And now I think we have this high standard of morality being very, very marvelously demonstrated in the account of Satan's tempting him by offering him all the kingdoms, all the glory of the earth. And of course, he very effectively pointed out, using some humor there, what our typical response would have been. Mm -hmm. But I think this temptation, this picture, now against the backdrop of what we're seeing in Luke, really has to convince us that God has no hope in our morality, regardless of how good it is, does he? Boy, that is certainly true. I mean, we should certainly be convinced of that by this account in Luke, because right here at the beginning portions, the beginning chapters of Luke, we see this matter of the highest standard of morality brought to the forefront. And this certainly is one the most outstanding of all the temptations, probably, you could consider, because all the glory and all the authority that had been given to Satan before he fell, now he's offering to Jesus for him just to worship him. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to gain our worship, and he uses a lot of tactics to gain that kind of appreciation from us. And we fail very miserably too many times. Even though we have God's life in us, many times we're still very much in ourself, and the lack of the moral standard in our own being cannot withstand that kind of temptation to gain so much authority, so much glory, so much uh, of this world's production. So this temptation really settled everything. The enemy had no more way. And eventually, in the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus said, the prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. In other words, there's no attraction in Jesus to Satan's temptation in anything. But I have to admit, I think we all have to admit that a lot of temptations have been afforded us that drew us away from Christ in us, even into ourselves, in some kind of hope that we can gain something out of yielding to this. But we have to realize Jesus is the Savior. The man Jesus fully qualifies to be the Savior of mankind. Francis, I think there are probably a lot of uh, people who in their uh, living of their human life are able to withstand to some degree many of the more base things that come along that we hear about and we have perhaps stumbled upon. But even a moral man, even a really good man, when faced with this temptation of pride and ambition and desire, that is a supreme test, isn't it? That's the supreme test that was given to Jesus, and he fully withstood it and qualifies to be our Savior. Hmm. I am thoroughly not just enjoying but being penetrated by these life study messages we're getting in this Gospel of Luke. I appreciate having you here with us whenever we have a chance, and uh, we're really just getting started, aren't we? Yes, it's wonderful. We're just getting started. we got a lot to look forward to. We do. Uh, one thing that will maybe help you on your way, if you're uh, following along, 
is if you could acquire a copy of this printed life study of Luke, these messages in much more detail than we are able to touch in the radio broadcast are just treasures. And we hope you'll contact us to find out about that. The other resources we have, like the recovery version with the footnotes that somewhat crystallizes and condenses many of these points along with the text of Luke itself in the Bible. So a marvelous study aid and a real treasure as well. Both of these items and many more things are available. If you'll contact us, our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. You can write to us also. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. We hope you'll join us for as many of these programs as you were able. For Francis Ball today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you'd like to read the works of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, just visit our website, ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll find over 600 complete titles available to read online free of charge. Witness Lee's ministry stood squarely on the shoulders of his mentor and co-worker, Watchman Nee as well as those of countless ministers of the New Testament throughout the ages. The riches contained in his life study of the Bible represent the top, the cream of his 70-plus years of ministry and range in topic from lessons for new believers to commentary and exposition on passages from every book of the Bible. But they all contain practical and deeper truths about the Christian life. Again, this wonderful online resource is available to you free of charge at ministrybooks.org. If you have questions or comments about this ministry or the program you heard today, email us radio at lsm.org or call us toll free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Thanks for listening today.